Father in heaven, uh, thank you so much for the privilege of being in this beautiful place. Thank you, Father, that uh, we're able to gather together for a weekend and uh, just kind of unwind and relax and uh, be in the middle of nature uh, where we can hear your voice speaking so much clearer than in the rambunctious cities. Uh, we ask, Father, that as we open your word this evening, that your Holy Spirit will be with us to guide our thoughts. We ask that uh, your Holy Spirit, through the ministry of the angels, will soften our hearts, that we might be willing to hear your voice, and not only to hear your voice, but it, to implement the principles that we're going to take a look at this evening. And we thank you, Father, for the privilege of prayer and for hearing us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Old Testament is full of messianic prophecies. In fact, these messianic prophecies basically announced every event of the life of Christ, including the exact moment of his birth. If you'll open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, we will see that God had a precise time in his calendar for the birth of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It says there in this very well-known verse, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Notice it says, When the fullness of time had come, in other words, when the precise moment had come for Jesus to be born, that is the precise moment when His birth occurred. I'd like to read a statement from the Spirit of Prophecy where she's commenting upon Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. This is what she has to say on, in Desire of Ages, pages 31 and 32. The Savior's coming was foretold in Eden. When Adam and Eve first heard the promise, they looked for its speedy fulfillment. They joyfully welcomed their firstborn son, hoping that he might be the deliverer. But the fulfillment of the prophecy tarried. Those who first received it died without the sight. From the days of Enoch, the promise was repeated through patriarchs and prophets, keeping alive the hope of his appearing, and yet he came not. The prophecy of Daniel revealed the time of his advent, but not all rightly interpreted the message. Century after century passed away. The voices of the prophets ceased. The hand of the oppressor was heavy upon Israel, and many were ready to exclaim, The days are prolonged, and every vision faileth. But now comes the portion of the statement that I specifically want to dwell upon this evening. But, like the stars in the vast circuit of their appointed path, God's purposes know no haste, and no delay. Humanly speaking, it appeared like the coming of the Messiah was delayed. But according to the spirit of prophecy, God's 
purposes, no, no haste and no delay. In fact, as we examine the Gospels, we discover that every event of the life of Christ was carefully choreographed before Jesus came to this world at the Incarnation. In fact, before Jesus came to this earth, He sat down with His Father, and His Father revealed to Him every event of His earthly life, every contact He would have, every place He would go, every word that He would speak had been mapped out already in the ceaseless ages of eternity past. In fact, the prophecies of the Old Testament reveal the exact time of His birth, His baptism, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His priesthood, and the beginning of the investigative judgment in the heavenly sanctuary. You can find specific dates for each one of those events of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. The exact time and day when these events would occur. In fact, just to give you an example, did you know that Jesus died in fulfillment of the Passover on the exact year, the exact month, the exact day, and the exact hour in which prophecy had specified? The year is given in the 70-year prophecy, the, uh, the uh, prophecy of the 70 weeks, where it says that He would be killed in the middle of the week. The month is given in Leviticus chapter 23, where it says that the Passover was celebrated in the month of Nisan. But also we have the specific day in which it would happen, which was the 14th day of Nisan. And in fact, in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 6, it tells us that He would die exactly at 3 o'clock in the afternoon between the two evenings, as it says there in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 6. In other words, every event of the life of Christ, without exception, every person He would meet, every word that He would speak, every event that would transpire, had already been mapped out and planned before Jesus came to this earth. In John chapter 5 and verse 30, we find Jesus expressing what was the basis of His decisions on planet earth. Here Jesus said in John 5 verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Every act of the life of Jesus took place in harmony with His Father's will. You know, one of the events that I particularly enjoy at the Winter Olympics is the figure skating. I don't know if you enjoy that particular event, but I never cease to be amazed at how those skaters can twist and turn and jump so perfectly, right at the right time, at the right place, and in the right way. I can't help but marvel as I see them performing there on the ice. But do you know what? They don't just come out on the ice and start skating. They have practiced that program 
time and again, time and again, perhaps hundreds of times before, so that when they get on the ice, they know every single move and every single turn, where they are supposed to be and when they are supposed to be in that place in the program that they have rehearsed. And so it was with Jesus. While He was on this earth, He simply unfolded the plan that had been devised in the ceaseless ages of eternity as to time and as to event. However, while Jesus walked upon this earth, He did not have the knowledge that He had when He was in heaven with His Father. In other words, each day we're going to find the Father had to reveal to Jesus what His itinerary would be, where He would go, who He would speak with, and what He was specifically to say. Let me give you a few biblical examples of this. You remember the story of the man that's re registered in John chapter 9, where you have the man who was born blind. Now, uh, we're told that the disciples came to Jesus and they asked Him a question in chapter 9 and verse 2. Rabbi, or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus immediately answered. Listen carefully to what His answer was. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. The impression that we get from this verse is that this man was born to meet Jesus at that particular time and in that particular place so that the works of God could be revealed in him at that precise moment. You see, Jesus through a life of intensive prayer with His Father, through studying Bible prophecy, through a contemplation of nature, and by a careful observation of the providential circumstances of His life, He knew exactly when to act and what to do. Day by day the Holy Spirit revealed to Him exactly what His itinerary was for that particular day. You say, how do we know that? There are several verses in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, My time is not come, or my hour is not come, or my hour has come. Let's notice several of those verses that we find in the Gospel of John. The first is in John chapter 2 and verse 4. This is at the wedding in Cana. There's no wine. And uh, the mother of Jesus comes to, to him and says, There is no wine. I want you to notice what Jesus answered to his mother. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. A little bit later on in the Gospel of John in chapter 7, and verse 6 and verse 8, we find the, the brothers of Jesus, half-brothers of Jesus, encouraging Him to go to uh, the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And I want you to notice what Jesus said to His half-brothers, sons of Joseph, by a previous marriage. Then Jesus said to them, this is John 7 and verse 6, My time has not yet come. 
but your time is always ready. And then verse 8, he says to them, You go up to this feast, I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. My time has not fully come. Did Jesus have a calendar of events? He most certainly did. Notice John chapter 7 and verse 30. Here Jesus says to those who are listening, My Father has sent me. And they really got aggravated at Jesus for saying this. And I want you to notice what they tried to do but could not. It says there in John 7 and verse 30, Then they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. And then we move on to the next chapter, John chapter 8 and verse 20. Jesus says to those who are gathered together, You don't know me, and you don't know my Father. Once again, notice the reaction of those who were listening to what Jesus said. John 8 and verse 20. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. You remember that towards the end of his ministry, some Greeks came to Jesus. And they wanted an interview with Jesus. Actually, Philip and Andrew were the ones that told Jesus that these Greeks wanted an interview with him. It's interesting to notice what Jesus responded to them. John chapter 12 and verse 23. John chapter 12 and verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, notice that he's saying the hour has what? The hour has now come. And then notice verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this what? From this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Once again, Jesus is showing that he's aware that he has a calendar of events there's a certain hour and there's a certain time for events to transpire in the divine calendar that was set for him before he came to this world. The next example is, is in John chapter 13 and verse 1. John chapter 13 and verse 1. Notice what it says there. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Notice, Jesus was aware, according to this, that his hour had come. And then we move on to John chapter 17 and verse 1. See, time and again in the Gospel of John, we have this phenomenon of the time and the hour for events to occur. John 17, verse 1, here Jesus is praying His intercessory prayer to His Father. And notice what we find there. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up His eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that Your Son also may glorify You. So we find in these verses clearly indicated that Jesus had a calendar of events that had been established for Him before He actually even came to this world. 
Now I want to read you an interesting statement from the Spirit of Prophecy because some of you might be wondering, well, was every little detail of the life of Christ mapped out before He came to this world? Listen to this amazing statement from Desire of Ages, page 147. Desire of Ages, page 147. The words, Mine hour is not yet come, we just referred to that in several verses, the words, Mine hour is not yet come, point to the fact that every act of Christ's life on earth was in fulfillment of the plan that had existed from the days of eternity. Before He came to earth, the plan lay out before Him perfect in all its details. Isn't that an amazing statement? But then she says this, but you say, well, then Jesus didn't really have any trials on earth because He already knew everything that was going to happen. He already knew that He was going to be victorious. Not so quick. Notice that she then explains, But as He walked among men, He was guided step by step by the Father's will. He did not hesitate to act at the appointed time. With the same submission, he waited until the time had come. So Jesus on earth did not have the knowledge of the plan that he had in heaven. The Holy Spirit revealed the plan to him day by day, and Jesus followed the plan precisely and exactly as it had been laid out. Now listen to what Ellen White had to say in Ministry of Healing, page 479. This is amazing. 479, Ministry of Healing. Christ, in His earthly life on earth, in His life on earth, made no plans for Himself. Jesus didn't get up in the morning and say, Now where am I going to go today? Well, I think Capernaum would be a good place to go. No. Christ in His life on earth made no plans for Himself. He accepted God's plans for Him, and day by day the Father unfolded His plans. Amazing. You say, how, how did He know? Because He was a man of intense prayer and communion with His Father. Because He studied the prophecies of Scripture, He knew exactly uh, how these prophecies would be fulfilled in him. Because he was in constant communion with nature and with the God of nature, and because he was careful in observing the providential events of each day of his life, at the same time praying that the Father would reveal to him the individuals that he needed to come in contact with. In fact, we find an example of this in the first visit of Jesus to the temple, when he was 12 years old. I'm going to read a statement from Desire of Ages, page 78, where Ellen White describes this first visit to the temple. For the first time, the child looked upon the temple. He saw the white-robed priests performing their solemn ministry. He beheld the bleeding victim upon the altar of sacrifice. 
With the worshipers he bowed in prayer, while the cloud of incense ascended before God. He witnessed the impressive rites of the Paschal service. Day by day he saw their meaning more clearly. Every act seemed to be bound up with his own life. New impulses were awakening within him. Silent and absorbed, he seemed to be studying out a great problem. The mystery of his mission was opening to the Savior. Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? So you notice that as he observed the services of the temple, he says, this has to do with me. This has to do with my mission. And so as he asked for the guidance of his father, each day as he observed the ceremonies of the temple, things became clearer and clearer in his mind as to what he was supposed to do in fulfillment of his father's plan. In fact, you know that the final events of the life of Jesus had been prophesied precisely long before Jesus was born. Let me give you several examples from the book of Psalms. You remember that Jesus on the cross said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now why would Jesus say words such as those? Because he had studied scripture. You see, those very words are found in Psalm 22 and verse 1, where it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me and from the words of my groaning? So Jesus knew that those words were to be spoken on the cross of Calvary, and he actually spoke those words. Do you know that the Bible even says what, the, what his enemies would say at the foot of the cross a thousand years before Jesus was born? The very words that his enemies pronounced. Notice Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8, and you've read these in the Gospels, what his enemies, oh yeah, you know, he, he, he claimed to be the Messiah, let God help him. Listen to what we find in Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let Him rescue him. Let Him deliver him, since He delights in him. Are those the exact words that His enemies spoke at the foot of the cross? Yet they were written a thousand years before Jesus was even born. What about the dividing of his garments? Do you think that Jesus was comforted somewhat when he saw that the soldiers were dividing his garments? I imagine that Jesus said everything is being fulfilled just the way that Bible prophecy said it was going to happen. Because Psalm 22 and verse 18 says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So when Jesus sees that, he says, The plan is transpiring exactly the way God has said it would. How about when they offered him gall and vinegar to drink? Jesus must have thought of Psalm 69 and verse 23, where it says, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Do you know that even the last words that Jesus spoke upon the cross had been prophesied a thousand years before he was born? In Psalm 31 and verse 5, it says, Into your hands I commend my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. So we find very clearly in the ministry of Christ multiple examples 
as to how the life of Christ was simply an unfolding of the plan that had been developed in heaven. Now let me share with you that it's different to see things from up there than it is to be going through them here. You know, after man sinned, and you can read this, I'm not going to read it, it's a rather long passage. Uh, it's found, uh, if you would like to read this after the service, in early writings, page 126. After man sinned, Jesus went into the presence of his Father, and he said, Father, um, you know, man has sinned, and now I offer my life to go down and, and die for the creatures that I have made. And the Father, uh, it was a struggle for him to say yes to Jesus, according to the Spirit of Prophecy. See, usually we think of God as this, uh, the unmoved mover, who sits on his throne, has no emotions and no feelings, and just sits there and looks forward, doesn't look to one side or to the other side. Stiff. But God has feelings. You think, he's, oh yeah, go ahead son, that's alright. No. It's a struggle. So Jesus says a second time, Father, I want to go to redeem the, uh, my, my creatures. Still the Father. Doesn't say yes. Finally Jesus says the third time, Father, I want to go. And the Father says, okay. Will implement the plan. Let me read you a statement from Ellen White. It's found in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 63. She says, The plan of salvation had been laid before the creation of the earth. For Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now listen to this. Yet it was a struggle, even with the King of the universe, to yield up His Son, to die for the guilty race. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus three times in heaven says, Father, I want to go, I want to go. But when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, three times Jesus says, Father, if I can escape, if I can escape, if I can escape. If you can remove this cup from me, because it was different seeing what He would go through from up there, and actually experiencing it when He's here on earth. But it had all been laid out before him, long before he came to this world. And as I mentioned, each day, through an intimate communion with his Father in prayer, through an intense study of Bible prophecy, through an obser careful observation of the providential leading of God in that particular day in his life, the people he came in contact with, the events that took place, through being in communion with nature, Jesus was able to know the plan that the Father had for, for him for that particular day. In other words, Jesus was led step by step by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now the question is, what about us? Do you think it's possible for something similar to happen to us? You say, oh no, that could never be. I want to read you that statement that I read before from Ministry of Healing, only I want to complete the statement now. Uh, notice what Ellen White has to say here. Christ in His life on earth made no plans for Himself. He accepted God's plans for Him, and day by day the Father unfolded His plans. Now listen, this, this is where it speaks to us. So 
Should we depend upon God that our lives may be the simple outworking of His will? As we commit our ways to Him, He will direct our steps. That's an amazing statement. Now it's talking about us. Do you suppose that it's possible through a li- a, a, an intimate life of prayer with God, through an intense study of Scripture with prayer, through a careful observation asking for the guidance of God in the providential experiences of our lives, that we could know what God's will is for our lives each day? I found it in my life. Sometimes I've deviated from the plan, I must say, and I know because of the fruits or the results. But there have been other times when I can see the leading of God clearly, and I follow down that path, and I'm amazed about the way that the Lord works. She continues saying there in Ministry of Healing, page 479, Too many, in planning for a brilliant future, make an utter failure. Let God plan for you. As a little child, trust to the guidance of Him who will keep the feet of His saints. And then it comes this famous statement that we're all acquainted with. She's just said, let God plan for you. As a little child, trust the guidance of Him who will keep uh, the feet of His saints. Then she says, God never leads His children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with Him. Amen. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Have you ever had the experience of looking back and, and, you know, when you went through a severe trial, severe difficulties, and, you're, and then you come out of the difficulty and out of the problem, you look back and you say, thank you, Lord. I could see your hand leading me. It was kind of dark when I was going through it. It was very difficult. But now when I look back, I see that what you decided is best. I've seen that happen in my life many times. Allow me to mention a few biblical examples of this other than Christ. You remember the days of Esther. There was a death decree in the days of Esther. All of the Jews were supposed to be exterminated on a certain day. Now, did God have a plan to deliver His people? He most certainly had a plan to deliver His people. I want you to notice Esther chapter 4 and verses 13 and 14. And while you're looking for Esther 4, 13 and 14, let me say something. All of us are important for God, but we are not indispensable. Did you hear what I said? All of us are important in fulfilling God's plan, but we are not indispensable in fulfilling God's plan. And this is an illustration of that reality. So Mordecai delivers a message to Esther. Then Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. Don't think that because you're in the king's palace, you're a Jew and you're not going to get killed too. Because you will get killed. Because you're a Jew and they'll discover it. Verse 14. For if you remain completely silent at this time, listen carefully, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Was God going to deliver Israel? Was Esther indispensable? No, she was important. 
And God wanted her to fulfill a very important purpose of delivering Israel. But notice that it continues saying, For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And then Mordecai asks this question, And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Are you seeing the story? In other words, Mordecai is saying, he says, who knows? Well, everybody knows, right? Who knows whether God has raised you up for a time such as this. If you don't fulfill God's plan, God's plan will still be fulfilled. But somebody else will do it. And you will lose the blessing. Then you remember the story of Joseph. You remember that Joseph had two dreams, right? And in those dreams, basically God was telling Joseph that... Uh, someday his father, his mother, and his brothers were going to come and they were going to bow before him. He was going to be their Lord. Do you think the devil was, uh, was listening? Oh, you better believe the devil was listening. Oh, so that's what's going to happen. I'll take care of this. <laughs> and so what does the devil do? He says, it's never going to happen. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to influence his brothers to sell him as a slave so much for the idea that he will be the Lord over his father, his mother, and his brothers. <laughs> and so he's sold. And he goes to Egypt. You know, it would have been very easy for Joseph to, to uh, kind of be bitter against God and say, here, I was a good son, you know, I was a homeboy, and, uh, and I obeyed my father's rules. And, and what do I get for that? What use is it being a good son and obeying the Lord? All I get is sold into slavery. And then, I, you know, he, he ends up in the house of Potiphar. Do you know why he ended up in the house of Potiphar? Because he had to learn, he had to learn administration. Because he had a big job of administration in the future. So God says, I'm going to give you a little practice before. So he sends him to Potiphar's house and he becomes the administrator of Potiphar's house. He's gaining experience. And then because he's faithful and he doesn't commit adultery, he ends up in prison. Man, he could have really been bitter now. Hey, I obey the seventh commandment and what do I get for it? I end up in prison. What use is it to be faithful to God? But Ellen White says that as he was uh, being taken by the Ishmaelites uh, to Egypt, he could see at a distance his father's tent. He must have been homesick. And she says that at that time he made up his mind that he didn't understand what was happening, but he said, God has a plan, and I'm going to cooperate with his plan. Amen. I'm going to be faithful. I can't understand it, but God has a plan. So he ends up in prison because he was supposed to meet someone there. <laughs> Does the devil know what's happening? The Lord is giving him enough rope to hang himself. What he's doing, the devil is trying to keep the prophecy from being fulfilled, and he doesn't realize it, but he's really cooperating for the fulfillment of the plan. <laughs> and so, you all know the story. Joseph, in prison, meets the cupbearer, and he meets the baker. You know, the baker ends up being ancient history. And... The cupbearer, 
You know, he, uh, Joseph says, you're going to serve wine for the, the king again. And uh, so when the day comes for the cupbearer to be released, Joseph says, oh, by the way, remember me when you uh, put in a good word with Pharaoh for me. And what an ungrateful cupbearer. He goes out and he forgets. The Lord gave him some type of divine amnesia because it wasn't time. There was a time. And so two years later, now's the time because God gives Pharaoh two dreams about the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. And so now, uh, now's the time. So uh, the Pharaoh says, who can I get to interpret this dream? The wise men couldn't. And so the cupbearer, the Lord says, remember, remember. And so now he says, I know a man who can do it. And he tells the story about the, about the baker and about how he, he ended up coming out of prison. And so, to make a long story short, Pharaoh calls him and he interprets the dreams. And now he becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Do you think that uh, Joseph is starting to, to understand a little bit that there was uh, some kind of a pattern involved here? That God had some kind of a plan? Of course he did. And so now, what happens? Well, when the seven years of famine come, here come his brothers. <laughs> it's an amazing story. The providence of God is just simply amazing. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. His brothers come, and what do they do? They bow before him. That's right. And, and, and so the story transpires. And then at the very end of the story, when Joseph finally identifies himself to his brothers, his brothers start crying. They say, oh, Joseph, we're so sorry that we did this. You know, we should have never sold you. You know what Joseph says? This is in Genesis 45, verses 5 through 7. He says, the Lord sent me ahead of you to Egypt to preserve the seed. Do you know what the devil's agenda really was? You can, you can see this in Cracking the Genesis Code. I deal with all these stories from Genesis. They're really prophetic stories. They're not only stories. They are prophecies written in the form of stories. And basically what the devil had in mind was he knew at this point that God was preserving a holy line from which eventually the Messiah would come. And he says, if I wipe out this family, there will be no seed that will come from the holy line. But God sent Joseph into Egypt ahead of time to preserve the seed. Did God have a plan? Did Joseph cooperate with the plan? Do you think he was a man of prayer? Do you think he carefully looked at the circumstances each day and tried to see how God was leading in those particular circumstances? You better believe. Notice the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verses 4 through 8. Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 4 through 8. Do you know that God chose Jeremiah before he was born? God chose all of us before we were born too. He's got a plan for us. Is God willing to reveal that plan to us? He most certainly is. But He's not going to reveal it to us while we're watching television. Unless it's 3 ABN. <laughs> He's going to reveal it to us because we have an intimate, close connection with Him. Now notice what, what we find about Jeremiah. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. 
That means I set you apart. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And now notice Jeremiah. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. For I am a youth. That has something to say to the youth, doesn't it? I am but a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth. Don't let anybody, don't, don't let anybody uh, demean you because of your youth. Do not say I am a youth. For you shall go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. He was chosen to fulfill his mission before he was born. And praise the Lord, as you read the story of Jeremiah, Jeremiah decided to walk step by step in the Lord's will. And of course, he became the great prophet Jeremiah that we know in Scripture. Now before we bring this to a close, I would like to share with you an example from early Adventist history. You're aware, I'm sure, that before Ellen White was chosen to be a prophet, God chose two other individuals to be prophets. Uh, The first individual's name was William Foy. Uh, The second individual was a man named Hazen Foss. Now, there's no evidence that William Foy rejected the prophetic call, but there is clear evidence that Hazen Foss rejected the prophetic call. I'd like to read you a description that was given by uh, Arthur White, Ellen White's grandson, um, about this experience of Hazen Foss. Uh, This is found in uh, the biography that he wrote about um, Ellen White. Sometime, and I'm reading now, sometime before the first vision was given to Ellen in December, the Lord had given just such a vision to Hazen. He had been instructed that he was to tell others what God had revealed to him. However, he felt he had been deceived in the disappointment of 1844. He knew, too, that ridicule and scorn would come to anyone who claimed to have a vision from God. So he refused to obey the promptings of God's Spirit. Again the Lord came near to him in a vision. He instructed that if he refused to bear the message of heaven, it would be given to the people of... uh, Excuse me. He was instructed that if he refused to bear the message, heaven would have him give to the people the Lord, of the Lord. Uh, I must have skipped this. Uh, uh. Anyway, the Lord would give this gift to the weakest of the weak. But Hazen still felt that he could not bear the burden and the reproach of standing before the people to present a vision from God. He told the Lord that he would not do it. Then... Very strange feelings came over him, and a voice said, You have grieved away the Spirit of the Lord. This frightened Hazen. Horrified at his own stubbornness and rebellion, he told the Lord that he would now relate the vision. He called a meeting of the Adventists for the purpose. When the people came together, he recounted his experience. Then he tried to tell what was shown to him, but he could not call it to mind. Even with the most concentrated effort, he could not recall a word of it. He cried out in distress, It is gone from me. I can say nothing, and the Spirit of the Lord has left me. Those who were present 
Here, uh, Arthur White is still describing, those who were present described the meeting as the most terrible meeting they were ever in. As Hazen talked with Ellen, because he did talk with Ellen, that February morning in Portland, in, in, in Portland, he told her that although he had not gone into the chapel where she had spoken the evening before, he had stood outside the door and heard every word that she had said. He declared that what the Lord had shown to her had first been shown to him. But, said he, I was proud. I was unreconciled to the disappointment. I murmured against God and wished myself dead. Then I felt a strange feeling come, come over me. I shall be henceforth as one dead to spiritual things. And then he said to Ellen White these words, Do not refuse to obey God, for it will be at the peril of your soul. I am a lost man. You are chosen of God. Be faithful in doing your work. And the crown I might have had, you will receive. Did God have a plan for Hazen Foss? He refused to follow the plan. Was he important? Yes. Was he indispensable? No, because God called the weak, weakest of the weak. You know, this last part where it says, The crown I might have had, you will receive, is actually a quotation from Revelation 3, verses 10 and 11, where it says, Because thou, art, that thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. In the Ministry of Healing 479, the same page where we read the previous two statements, Ellen White says, Too many, in planning for a brilliant future, make an utter failure. Let God plan for you. As a little child, trust to the guidance of Him who will keep the feet of His saints. God never leads His children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with Him. Let me ask you, uh, would Joseph agree with that statement? Amen. Do you think Joseph would have chosen the same way if he could have seen the end from the beginning? If, if, Joseph, if Joseph could have seen beforehand what was going to happen with him, do you suppose that he would have chosen to do the same thing? Of course. Would it have been a lot easier? Of course it would have, because he would have known what the end was. <laughs> now we have a young fellow here who's going to be, he's going to be a real help to preachers in the future. <laughs> An amen is always very helpful. You know, in fact, I've always said that preachers like two noises in church, and one of them is not the cell phone. <laughs> preachers like the first noise that we like is to hear the pages of the Bible turning. It's like music to our ears. And the second noise that we like is at least an amen once in a while. And if you want to say hallelujah, that's good too. Because the angels in heaven say amen and hallelujah. They don't clap, but they do say amen. And hallelujah, that's the proper response that God has established. You know, I've been able to see how God leads in a marvelous way uh, in, in the form in which Secrets Unsealed has uh, 
been born and has grown. It's, it's amazing. I could uh, stand here and, and speak for two hours about how God has led in the establishment of this ministry. Let me just share, you, share with you a few little things about our ministry. About nine years ago, we decided that we would start a ministry. And we didn't have uh, a single penny. No money. Except the money that was in the pockets of the contributors. But we didn't have it. And so we prayed to the Lord that he would help us raise $300,000 to buy the equipment that we needed to produce programming. Within a period of 10 months, the Lord had given us $300,000 from donations from different places, not only the local church, but many places in the United States and other countries. And we were able to get the equipment to start producing programming. You know, we, we started in two little rooms in the church. Uh, and until very recently we were functioning in those two rooms. If you could see them, it's relatively embarrassing. We never liked to give people the tour uh, because, it, uh, you know, they, they were just cramped and, you know, all the furniture was just piled up. It was just not ideal working place. So a couple of years ago we decided that uh, we needed to acquire a, a facility where we could better function. And uh, there's always naysayers, you know. There were some people in the church when uh, we decided to start this ministry that said, oh, where are you going to get the money? And uh, basically I said, well, if it's the Lord's will, and we've prayed that the Lord will show, if it, show us if it's His will, then the money's going to come in. That's not going to be a problem because the gold and the silver belongs to the Lord. And the Lord showed that this was His plan because we were able to raise the money. So about two, two and a half years ago, we decided that we would start raising funds to acquire a new building where we could better function. Well, to make a long story short, uh, June 15 of this year, we were able to move into our new facility. Uh, it, the, pri the price that we had to pay was $675,000, raised within a, a couple of years, and uh, we owe not one penny on the facility. Simply amazing the way that God, God leads. Now we're, we're involved in phase two of our ministry. Because we, you know, we have, uh, we have uh, seven offices, state-of-the-art. They were already built inside this warehouse-like building. But we also have a great big warehouse where we're planning on building inside a distribution center and a state-of-the-art production studio where we can produce programming uh, for television. Not only uh, theological lectures, but we want to do some interactive programming. We want to have a, like a question-and-answer session. We want to have a talk show format. And we also are planning on doing uh, health-related uh, lectures uh, to broadcast uh, on television. We have Dr. Milton Teske, some of you know him. Uh, he, he ran the reversing diabetes program here at Weimar for many years. He's a member of our church. He has a passion for health ministries. Uh, he's a strong supporter of Secrets Unsealed. And we're planning on having him and the medical professionals in our church uh, produce television program, uh, programming on the area, in the area of health. And so, and so, you know, we have to raise now about $400,000 to uh, build the, these buildings and to purchase the equipment that we need. And once again, you know, we have some church members that, that, that say, where are you going to get the money? You know, as if, you know, God has already opened the Red Sea. He's already sent manna from heaven, and they're murmuring because water hasn't come out of the rock. <laughs> and so, you know, how long does it take for you to learn that, 
God is in this because He has shown step by step He's opened the doors. We've knocked on the doors and God opens the doors and God provides the way. And uh, when we receive letters and emails from all over the world and phone calls from all over the world from people who have come back to the church, ministers of other denominations that have embraced the Adventist message, uh, people from other churches, entire churches, maybe some of you read the last newsletter that came out. There's this uh, Pentecostal lady pastor in Mexico and uh, she, uh, she saw the, uh, the presentation on the Sabbath in the Genesis Code series. And she and 196 of the Pentecostal church members were baptized all in the same day and became Seventh-day Adventists. When we receive uh, emails and we, when we receive letters and when we receive phone calls with uh, information such as this, we can't help but know that God is in this, that God is leading us. And we believe that the best days are still ahead. We don't know what's ahead. God does have the plan. He has the master plan. He has the blueprint. All we have to do is walk step by step with Him. Following His leading, doing what is in harmony with the Bible and with the spirit of prophecy. And we believe that God will lead us step by step. And there will be thousands in the kingdom as a result of this ministry with the, which the Lord has raised up. But God not only has... Uh, a plan for secrets unsealed. He has a plan for each one of our lives, each one of our individual lives. But we have to be people of prayer. We have to be a people that get into the Word and study the Word and try to discern what God's will is in the Word. He wants a people who, who uh, can go out in the midst of nature and listen to the voice of God in, in a tranquil, peaceful uh, environment. Uh, God also wants us to, to look carefully at the, at the circumstances, the providential leading each day. You know, how God leads from point A to point B like He's done with Secrets Unsealed. It's amazing as we see the hand of God leading. So what God has done for Secrets Unsealed, what He did for uh, Esther, what He did for Joseph, what He did for Jesus is not something unique to them. It is something that God can do in each one of our lives if we allow the Holy Spirit to lead in our lives. God has a plan. And I ask this evening, would you like me to have a word of prayer now that God will reveal to you the plan that He has for your life? Do you want to raise your hand? I want to have a word of prayer with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've studied biblical examples this evening about how you have a plan for everyone's life. How many times it's true that we have interposed our own will and we make a mess out of things. Therefore we ask, Father, that you will reveal what your plans are. That you will help us not to make plans for ourselves without consulting with you to see if it is your will. Father, we have a, a significant group of people gathered here this evening. Each one you have a plan for. Each one, you have a role to fulfill in the closing history of this world. I just ask, Father, that you will help each one to meet the necessary conditions so that they can see clearly your hand leading in each event of their lives. Lord, we're tired of living in this world of sin and sickness and sorrow and suffering and death. It's time to go home. Help us, Lord, to make the first, the, the main thing, the main thing, 
Help us, Lord, to uh, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and not the things that are added unto us because you will naturally add those things. Thank you, Father, for having been with us and thank you for leading our lives in your way and in your time because we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.